Yes, hello, welcome to Book Club, the show where every week we take a sales book, we talk about it, we reconstruct, deconstruct, and generally add some value to it uh, where the author might not have done. Um, this week, Michael and I are on Objections by Jeb Blount. You'll notice that there is a coffee stain on my <laughs> copy, um, which looks like, it, well, at least you know it's been on my desk, and at least you know we've read it. I'm enjoying the book, Mike. Some of it's adding value, some of it's not. Like all of these things, it's a, a reminder of stuff. Before I go on, if you like what you're watching and you like what you're hearing, if you're listening to the podcast, tell your mates, share it. If you're watching on YouTube or LinkedIn, do us a favour, smash the like button now. Uh, it costs money and time to make the show, so we'd appreciate it with just a little like. Mike, you were about to tell me all about what you think. I thought we need the titles, don't we? Oh, Lauren wants to roll the titles. God. <laughs> what do they say, Price? You never work with children and animals, or... Or, or, knackered, or, or, or knackered elderly recruitment consultants. <laughs> um, right, so we were talking about uh, Objections by Jeb Blount. Um, Jeb Blount is the author of one of my favourite ever sales books, which was called Fanatical Prospecting. Um, my thoughts thus far were 11, chap 10 chapters I mean, in. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's a good book. It's not been my favourite book. No. That I've read thus far, but it is the best book I've you read You really far. loved the Jordan Belfort book, didn't I'll you? I'll tell you why the Jordan Belfort book is my favourite book. Because whilst I don't agree with the man 100% of the time, he has an opinion that is different. And what this book is about, for me, is, you know, you sometimes see these graphics, quite often on recruitment consultants' websites, actually, where you've got lots of grey-shaped people, and there's a red person, and it'll say, stand out from the crowd, or whatever it might be. This is one of the grey books. Whereas Jordan Belfort's is one of the red books. It's slightly better written than the others. Okay. And it does, uh, and it does attack part of a, a micro part of the sales process in good detail. And I do think it's a good book. But actually, it's, it's, it's a bit like, I just came back from Berlin last week. And, and people said to me that I spoke to, what was Berlin like? By the way, that's a cue for what the car is. So those of you trying to guess the car today, think Berlin and then you'll guess it immediately. Um, Berlin is inoffensive. This book is inoffensive. And I'm at a point with it now where I'm reading it and I'm just thinking, yeah, exactly right, but not noteworthy. Exactly right, but not noteworthy. Exactly yes. right, but not noteworthy. And I'm sort of flying through it and I'm then getting a bit bored with it as I'm reading it. I'm thinking, damn it, you right, read the last two pages again. But I don't want to say it's not a good book because it is a good book. I actually made more notes during The Effective Executive. 100%. Even though it was incredibly dense. Um, whereas here I'm not as engaged. But what it is, is a good refresher for me. And, and I agree. I think the challenge with a lot of sales books, Mike, is that there's only so many notes in the scale. So you can only play those notes in the scale in a certain order. Now, in reality, there are an inf infinite possibilities musically, but that's why lots of music sounds the same. Yes, and I think what what you've got yes, here is an is an album. Analogy. I think what you've got here is an album that it, it's it's a bit samey, isn't it? It is a bit samey. At some point, somebody's going to write a book 
that's going to completely be like a completely new paradigm. It's not, it's not mind by, by Nirvana, is it? That's it's not garbage. a game changer. Yeah, I would say it's not Urban Hymns, but you know, we're on the well, same. Urban Hymns was a game changer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or it was your game changer. It was. Anyway, so, so, so chapter 11... Yes has a number. Never, never, never give up, said Winston Churchill. Nice quote. Don't think it's particularly relevant here, but I like it. Yeah, and so what... The, the, the context of this chapter is that he started talking about how sales is governed by numbers, which many of us know, many of us get. My, com my, my issue is... I don't really get it in the context of a book on objections. Yes, I agree with that. It's not. A, it's an excellent concept. And I mean, we'll go through the chapter it, in a bit more detail. You couldn't talk about a more important issue. Um, and Well, he's I, talking I, about conversion rates. He's talking about yeah, very simple extremely stuff. extremely important. And he's 100% right. Do you know, years ago, I can't think who it was. It might be, maybe it was you, maybe it was Griffith or Shields or somebody like that. Put the phone down when I worked at Jacko's and somebody said to me, Mike, how much was that phone call worth? And, and that it was me. has stuck in my head. It was me. Ever since. And I worked out that each phone call was worth a pound. And that's sort of what Jeb Blount is saying. He's saying, actually, what's your conversion ratio from picking up a phone, speaking to a gatekeeper to get through to a decision maker? If you could change that, what would the impact on you and outcome be? And he's 100% right by that. Yeah. 100%. But actually, it's not got much to do with objections, I don't think. No, he says, there's a couple of things that I did make a note of so what he's talking about is know your numbers know how many calls you need to make to get an appointment know how many appointments you need to make to get a second appointment know how many second appointments you need to make to get a close great i get that and then there's a couple of quotes where he says here elite salespeople like elite elite athletes track everything as do elite sales organizations and i wrote here not in our world they don't i don't think they do in many worlds i think in some sales environments they do I think that's a very idealised view of successful sales environments. Um, I don't remember the last time I spoke to a client about the key performance indicators that drove their business. Do you? Mm, yes, I do, actually. Right. But further on down the funnel, because I'll say to some of my clients when I meet them, they'll say, I'll say, what's the target? They'll say it's a million pound. I'll say, what's the order value? They'll say 250. I'll say, what's your close ratio from best view to close? They'll say one in three. I'll, and then I just drill backwards, particularly when I want to make sure that the job's a doable job. And every now and then I speak to a client that can give me the numbers. Now, they're not doing it from calls to decision makers. No, because they don't live in that world that we live in. But they are doing it further on down the funnel. Yes. Okay, okay. And they put here, many salespeople leave it up to the company to do the tracking for them. And There's an argument that says, in the automated world that we live in, Mike, Salesforce and other technologies like it extract and create so much data so quickly that maybe, just maybe, it's killed the art of... Well, here's what I'm getting at. is In the old days, I used to have these, what they called, visi cards. So at the end of the week, I used to have to fill in a handwritten report of how many interviews were organised in the, in the branch. I still fill mine in. Correct. You put yours into Excel every week manually every single so there is week. this there is whilst you're putting it into a digital system still the same to system. all intents and purposes same there's system. a there's an analog exercise taking place yes of you having the conversation with yourself about how productive or unproductive your week has or hasn't been johnny i still use salesforce actually to monitor how many calls i've made 
Yes, I do. I still look at it and think, I'm of course here, Mike. I've got a thing, I'm using this stupid app at the moment, Habitica, which for, for anybody who's watching, if, if maybe we'll get onto the whole conversation about productivity on another day. Habitica is an online role-playing game connected to your personal productivity where you fight oh, you monsters and that. dragons you and you get points that. for doing certain things around your personal productivity. And one of the things on Habitica, I've got a real big thing this week, a real goal I set myself was to make five straight up cold calls every day outside of just anything else. Pure cold calls, not calls to leads or calls to people I might know, but just five, hello, my name is, and you don't know me, and this is what I want. And it's the same thing. I'm tracking it. How many have I made? Right, I haven't made enough. And next week I start again. Right, I've got to make those cold calls. Not because I'm frightened of it, because I've got to find the time and the discipline just to do it. So knowing the numbers, I know if I can make five, if I make five pure cold calls a day, doesn't sound like a lot, but actually I know I'll make something out of that every week. Uh, and then if I can increase it from there, I'll do it. But I don't believe people track it anymore. They don't? I, do you think they should? God, yeah. I think he's bang right. I think he's bang right. Just I think he's bang right. Yeah. And I don't think it's that related to objections, but I think he couldn't be more right. And I feel like the poor guy's screaming to the void here. I can't imagine many people reading this are then going to do that. No. And I, I also think, and we've talked about this a, a lot, about how salespeople are at a point, um, and we were just talking about millennial entitlement. We were. Um, That's uh, right, you millennials. We, but we were talking about millennial entitlement. Uh, and how actually the world has changed and what people want out of their sales careers has changed. I think that we've had, the exper we've had experiences with millennials where they've looked at us like, what do you mean? Why do you care how many calls they've made, man? Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's it though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, it's Friday night, man. We're going to mission. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, uh, and, I'm, and I'm sat there saying, right, how many calls you made? What's your conversion ratio of calls to decision makers? What's your conversion ratio of decision makers to... Uh, Opportunities, what's your conversion ratio of opportunities? Because I still close? believe that at some point a person has got to pick up a phone and phone somebody. Oh, of course they do. Yeah, but we live in a world where that's do. not the case. Let's get the recruitment world right. What are the recruiters doing right now? All the recruiters out there sat there sending out CVs, which by the way is against GDPR. Um, anyway, that's a so, so that, yeah, I so I'm, I'm glad Wait. he's put the chapter in, but I just don't get how it relates to objection handling. Okay, well, let's get on to the next chapter, which is entitled Red Herrings. Red Herrings. Now, I've got to say, I read this chapter, then I went back to the start of it to put a note, which I put some good stuff in here. What I didn't find in the chapter, and maybe I slept through a page of it, was he didn't really tell us how to identify what a red herring is. I think he does. Do a little bit, yeah. I think he gives a reasonable definition, actually. I don't, yeah, yeah, I gave a definition of a red herring, but what he didn't do... Walls that stakeholders are right. <coughs> Excuse me. What he Bless you. What he didn't do was say, these are the character traits of an objection that is a red herring. Let's see what he says. Here he goes. Wall red herrings are essentially walls that stakeholders erect to protect themselves from being taken advantage of by salespeople. They're often part of the reflexive buyer script. In some cases, though, red herrings are conscious and direct challenges designed to take you off your game and test your mettle. And he does give some examples. He says they often seem innocuous. Simple statements like, look... Before we go any further, I need to know that you aren't too expensive. In our world, before we move any further, I need to see a copy of your terms and conditions. Yes, but they could, they're not necessarily red herring objections. He would say that's a red herring. 
Well, I think he's explained it badly. I think what he should have been talking about is the presenting problem isn't the presenting problem. I think the real objection in, in a lot of these is, is the thing I was taught many years ago is money authority need. I think you can put them all into money authority need. Or, or budget authority need timescale. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, and, and actually, he, he is right. His point about in this chapter, which I'm sure we'll go into, is that you're going to get thrown off the scent at something that isn't really a, a, an objection. Yes. But he doesn't really, I don't think, tell you how to properly identify whether it is or it isn't. Well, yeah. you know, he gives this example here about how they had a salesperson in the office and the sales guy, they all got round to do an yes, online demo that. with a software vendor um, and the whole thing went bad because the lad ended up talking about price early on and they got into a price-led conversation before the guide obviously got into starting to pitch his value and then they blew it out, they didn't buy the software. I actually wrote, so you derailed the sales guy with a perfectly acceptable product that you wanted to buy and, and he'd blown it. Well, who's blown it? You've blown it with a supplier that you want. You actually were pretty much, by the sound of it, hell bent on dealing with, weren't you? Well, I mean that's true. I hadn't thought of it when I, I'm when I sat here that. thinking, who, who created the red herring? Yes, I, I just think there's a, there was a much easier way of overcoming and testing every single red herring that I'm surprised he didn't put in there really, which is because when what he's really saying is when somebody gives you an objection, you need to test the validity of whether that's an objection. Well, he does say here, rule number one is ignore, and I agree with that. Uh, uh, often I'll get an objection and I'll think, I'll park it and see if it comes back up. If it comes back up, it's a real objection. If it doesn't, it's not. But I also think that that's a very dangerous game because... Well, it's contradictory to his, to his chapter. Because actually, I think sometimes an unhandled objection, you're often sat there thinking, is that going to come back? Well, it just grows like a piece of mould, doesn't it? Correct. So you can park an objection or you can exert... You could have nipped it in the bud and, it, and it's not... Correct. Great. Or you could exert your... Pers I think something that he's missing here in the, com in the conversation and it's difficult to put into a book is how an individual salesperson can exert his will on a conversation. Yes, they should overpower it, but it's still there. Correct. But I so, think the red herring objection is, whatever the objection is, which is, you know, tell me a lot, you know, how much does it cost? I just think that's just a nice, easy line he should have put in here was, go on. I use yeah. that loads with my Correct. clients. Correct. Go on and shut up. What, no, no, but my point is, Mike, can you, can you send me your T's and C's? Go, go on. on. And then they talk. Because then if it's a real objection... Or just reflect. Can then I say, if, just reflect. You want me to send you T's and C's? Either. You, just need, to, you just need to get them talking about the objection. Then they're going to validate whether it is or it isn't a real objection. And then at that point, you know whether it's a red herring. Yeah, I think it's a very, did, very simple, isn't it? Whereas actually what he didn't do was, he didn't, he didn't say, he is right about red herring objections and you've got to be careful of them. But what he didn't say was, test whether it's a red herring first. And I really think he missed the point He does that. say that. I don't think he uh, well, No, he sort of does and he sort of doesn't. He's got this P-A-I-S. Yeah, Paul's acknowledge to another bit of IP. Pause, acknowledge, ignore, save. And we were talking, I think, last week about, I was taught, Christ, how old am uh, I? 40... Listen, pause, clarify. How old am I? 46. I was 23 when I was taught it. 23 years ago, Christine Ty taught me to listen, pause, and clarify. Yeah, he's tried to reinvent a perfectly good system there. Yeah. And I thought, come on, man. Yeah, listen, pause, where, clarify. Where, and like I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really negative about this chapter. Because actually, it's really important. Because red herrings, are, they're often they're just a silent killer. Yeah, and, and, and it's like I say... I, I... You can put, you can ignore an objection, 
but the question is, are you ignoring it? You and I know some very willful salespeople. Loads. Some extraordinary... Motor mouth, hardcore. People who... But people, salespeople who are very charismatic. Yep. Very magnetic as personalities. And who can exert just pure... Enough will into a buying conversation that they can push an objection psychologically and emotionally out the way. And just bully the, they just bully the prospect. Yes, they can bully the prospect. They just keep the conversation going in that direction. But... And we can all do it. I think I'm capable of doing that. I think you're capable oh, of no. doing that. But actually, how many of those red herring objections... I think sometimes you can bully... It, and he's saying ignore. I think that's synonymous with, in a way, bully. I think he's going to bite and, you on the ass later on. Well, what if you do that with somebody who's a little bit more meek? Somebody who's a little bit quieter? They're just going to hate you for that. I completely agree. I totally... And I think that there's an element of grey here where he actually has got to say, listen, you've got to judge the situation on the one that you're in front of with the client. And it might be that you're a pretty big personality and they're a pretty small personality and they throw a quietly muffled, quietly said objection in the works. You're going to ignore that? No, actually, because if you ignore it and walk over the top of it, when you walk out of the room, don't be surprised when they've never spoken to you again. But getting back to the book, I agree with you 100%. Getting back to this, I thought, page 139, he says, the human mind abhors the unknown. And I mean, it goes on a little bit. I've got to tell you, something that I have found works incredibly well within, within a canvas call that overcomes a lot of objections is... He's saying it's a canvas Hello, call. Hello, my name is... My, uh, this is a cold canvas call we haven't spoken before. My intention is, by the end of this call, to try and bend your wills that you've listened to me a little or, bit. Or is to get you to a point where... Just where that. And I, and I mean, he's But he does say right. that. He does oh, say 100% that. right. About, about being very clear with your objective. This is what we're going to do. And being very clear with the micro-commitment at the end of the call, saying I mean, it will be my intention at the end of the call to book an appointment with you to come and meet you. And then the next bit... And, I've just and, got I, and I really like that. On a page 140. Next, when you indicate that you are unattached to the outcome, that you are willing to walk away if working together might not be a fit... You are saying right up front that you are not going to chase them. Yeah, this I do that all the time. This scarcity effect. People want what they can't have. I think that's beautifully elegant. I well, I do that all the time. I'll say, what I'd like to find out is whether you and I write for each other. If we are, we are. If we're not, I'll walk away and I won't ring you. I think it's really elegant. I think it's really good. I think you've got to be careful because you've got to sell to them a little bit. <laughs> but, yes, but at the but, same time, it, 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 I, I always make the point of the agenda of a, of a meeting or a call like that of, I'm trying to work out whether, you, whether I'm right for you and you're right for me. Absolutely. And if, and if we're not, then... Hey, um, I don't care. And then I jumped to 142 where he's put some, he started putting some script, hasn't he? I mean, they're a bit, you, you, you know, he's, he's written a script to, to illustrate his points. They're always going to be well suited to illustrating his point, but it's a beautiful script, that. Which one? Bottom of page 142. Ultra high performer. Is there anything else you, you want to be sure we cover? The last time we used your company, we had a terrible experience with your customer service. If you can't do a better job, there is no way I can buy from you again. Ultra performer, Paul's not knowledge. Gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. You shouldn't have to deal with that. And it just goes on. And if you can, I'm not going to read out the whole thing because it'll be boring. But I just think the way the guy puts together his script. Yes, is it, it, his script. That script is blinding. Dynamite. It, yeah, absolutely. absolutely I can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so I think if you're following on with us, page one four two, there's some gold on there. Um, and he points out, you'll notice in this example, the salesperson acknowledges the issue, adds it to the agenda, moves past the minutiae of the red herring by framing the conversation structure and gaining control. So in that instance, in that script, 
he acknowledges it and parks it for he later. Does, but I don't think that's a red herring objection was going to my next point. What? I think that's just a, a, a slight... What? Last time we dealt with you, your service was shit. That's, that's a, a, that's a, a bit perfectly objection. valid objection. It's just a bit of an objection. Yes. What he should be saying there is, it's not the killer objection. Yeah. Should, this type, the, you know, this should have been, the title of this, this, this sort of uh, chapter should have been, you're going to get lots of different objections, some are more important than others. Yeah. Because it's not a massive objection, clearly, but it's an objection. Yes. And he handles it as an objection. And I think, he, and, and I, and I think he, he, what he's missing is those little shades of grey around what do you, when do you and don't you ignore. I really, I'm very nervous about the concept of ignoring an objection. Absolutely. Because I think a lot of salespeople will misconstrue that as walk over the top of it. Yeah, exactly. But so, so the chapter itself, I was mixed on that chapter really. It's all right. It's got, look, like a lot of these things, it's got me thinking. Absolutely. Um, he got me thinking that I'm not mental part of it <laughs> and that my training isn't outdated. Yes, I mean, like I say, somebody at some point is going to create a whole new paradigm that's going to be completely different. This book, isn't it? I don't think they will because I think that what you're effectively saying is there needs to be a fundamental paradigm shift in, in human communication and behaviour. streamed music. No, we could not. And that's that kind of changes. Thousand songs in your pocket. Okay, so micro commitment objections. I actually, I'm going to confess, it was I was a bit off my game last night, so I haven't read the last page and a half of this. So you you'll have to fill in on micro commitment objections. It's all right. It wasn't a very long chapter. No, it wasn't. Um, so what he talks about, just explain what you believe he's point. What he's saying is a a micro-commitment objection. Well, do you know, when I read the title, I thought it was going to be talking about the good old-fashioned agreement staircase. Right. Of a series of closed questions that were assumptive closers. But that's not actually what he's asking for, what he's talking about here. What I think he's talking about here, here is um, quite a Sandlerism-style thing, or solution-selling, sorry, where you get your client to do something to do the minute you lose stuff. the door. Yes. And just to get your client used to singing from your hymn sheet in lots of different ways. I was always taught you just get your customer used to saying yes to you. Slightly different, because that's what I thought it was going to be. But what he's saying is, A, you get them to say yes, but, the, but B, then get them to do stuff for you. Because then at that point, you can test how committed they are to you. And I think that what he's talking about then is he's then going to say, you know, where the objections are. So he's lie. saying, and something that we've been trying to say to train people that work for us in the past for years is he's saying you ring up a prospect he says call me back in january that is not a next action he's saying call me back on the 5th of january at 2 p.m is a next action yes and then he's saying the micro commitment that you would get out of that is you'd send no meeting request and they would accept it correct but they'd and then you it. can put it in your pipeline as but you've I got think to get them to agree to, 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 to do it. Correct. But then he's saying you've got to explain the value in doing so. The benefit to the client. So why would they want to do that? Yeah. So I think a big part of it, and I did fill in his table, I suspect you didn't given what you just said, is you know, we, we sit down with a client, uh, one of the things we then ask them to do is, is sign our T's and C's. Yeah. Now I know that we're different because I know a lot of the recruiters don't do that, they just send T's and C's with the CV, but our process is different. So what I'm saying to you, Jonathan, as my client is, listen, Jonathan, I need, I need you to sign my T's and C's because the minute you sign my T's and C's, I can then start putting the time aside and the budget aside to start the candidate process. Yes. I send you the T's and C's, you do it, that's a micro-commitment. 
Well, it's a larger um, than micro. Well, not really, because I've not asked you for any money. So no, yep. we no fee basis. Yeah. All, all I've asked you to do is is agree to operate to the by the terms that you're quite happy dealing with me. Yeah. So it's a small commitment for you. Yeah. But it means a lot to me. But right. actually, if I send you those teasers season and you don't sign them, there's an objection there that you have got with me. And I'm not giving putting any time. And you're into not this. and you're not telling me what it is. Correct. So I send you the T's and C's. You bugger about, don't sign them. Well, in our world, I, I, there are certain things I deem as micro commitments in in the process that I operate with. Um, there's little things, all sorts. Booked call, candidate call with a feedback. Yeah. That's why I you use cal that's why I use Calendly a lot. So sometimes if I can get, a See, I don't like if it, I can, but I do know if I can get a So for example, yeah, I, yeah. I, I've I worked on one it. thing this week where the clients put a call in my diary. Right, now we're talking. It's a micro-commitment. It's a micro-commitment. No, it's not money. It's not a huge amount of time because you've got to speak to them anyway. It's the, it's the client saying it's important. It's a couple of things. It, it, it gets in, I'm moving into bant with it, aren't I? I know now there is need. Yes, correct. If he's clicking that Calendly link and he's putting time in my diary, it's because there's, there's a problem, there's a need, there's pain. He wants to talk to me. So I'm thinking, right, okay, now we're talking. You put a call in my diary. You want to talk to me, do you? Absolutely. Yeah, you're 100% right. So I, I completely agree with him about this. He's 100% right. Um, an act, but again, I don't think in the universe you and I live in, people are doing that. I think it's very unlikely. I think, I, I think that it would be deemed pushy. I don't know. I think there's some guys that do do it in the solution selling world. Yes, well, in, uh, under the whole concept of solution selling, the micro commitments are bigger than the micro commitments. So it would I th be I've got to say, I think send a project agenda for the procurement and get your clients to fill in. I think a lot of people agenda. I deal with do do that. Yeah, I think less. I think more of the people I deal with don't. I think a lot of the guys I deal with do that. Yeah, okay. I've got one candidate at the minute. Got a, you know, I hope you're listening to this. I love him to pieces. I, you, you know I'm very fond of him. I think he's a very good salesman. Um, who is, he, he just sort of touches me every week. Not physically. He phones me about something every week. And he just sort of gets me to do something. And I sit there in my seat thinking, that's why. Yeah, because he's, he, he, he gets... It just gets me to do something. Little commitments. Little, and, I, and I sit there that thinking... That keep you thinking about him. And I think, bloody good for you. Yeah. You just say something in here. I like his process about overcoming the micro-commitment objection. And I've got to say, I think that if you, if you integrated that, that would be really useful into your daily... Yes, well, I did... And in... being aware of... But my, like I say, my concern is, I, just, I think a lot of the people we work with, not all of them, but I do think a lot of them would look at it and go, oh, crikey, that's pushy. They, uh, I don't think they would in my market, actually, I must say. But we, as we've said before, I think the sale, level of salesmanship in your market is higher because the nature of the market is more mature and more saturated. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they would in my market. Whereas, then, in, whereas in a less saturated market, I think that would be deemed much more pushy. Now, if you didn't read the last two pages, you really missed out on something here. What's so I'm this? going to read this. I don't like reading them out. When they say they're happy with their current vendor or in-house operations, but are open to looking at your proposal. So, based on everything you've told me, it sounds like you and your team have a process that is working. It doesn't sound like there is much we can help you with. I recommend you stick with your current situation. Or, considering you are happy with your current supplier and they're doing a great job for you, I don't see why we had any value here. Since you're getting great prices and service, I don't recommend making a change. That's his take. That's his takeaway. Uh, that's him creating scarcity. I thought that was in just him bloody walking away and giving in. And I thought, I can't believe he's written that. But well, hold on a minute. Hold on. How many times have you said 
to a candidate creating a silly objection at the final minute. All right, mate, we'll just don't take the job then. Yeah, but I, I just mean that. Come 100%. On. 100%. I'll tell you why I've been in this job for as long as I have. It's because you're a straight shooter. It's because I really 100% care. Correct. That they get it. And, and, you know, years ago at Jacko's, if a candidate said to me, well, I'm not sure, Mike, I would have tried to twist their bloody arm. Yeah, but what he's doing is he's playing a little bit of reverse psychology, isn't he, and creating that scarcity. So he's saying to the client, well, listen, let's, not just, let's just not bother. Yeah, I think the client's going to go pick it and go, yeah, right. Well, you're going to get the odd one that's going to... You're going to get more than the odd oh, one. All right, clever, clever clogs, are you? You're going to get more right. than the odd all one. All right, clever clogs, yeah, right. You're right, let's not bother. But equally, you'll get a few people that will go, ooh, what do you mean, let's not bother? Yeah, but the way that, the way that he's pitching that, that's early on in the process. Imagine if uh, you were doing some canvassing. And you'd they, have to create. And, and you'd have to create a lot of perceived value to play that card. Before you did that, to to play that card. Yes. Imagine you know you phone up some guy on Monday, some girl on Monday, and say, "Listen, I'm a recruiter. Johnny is my recruitment services." They go, "We've got our own supplier." You go, "Well, great. It's obviously working for you. I'll leave you to it." <laughs> yeah. Right. Brilliant. You're gonna have a bad week. Yeah. You, you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of short calls. Aren't but you? the micro, you know, I'm, I'm splitting hairs really. I thought of micro commitment chapter again. I thought it's just excellent. But it is something that I've been trained to do, and I do do. I think if you don't do it, you should do it. Yeah, micro. I think the whole. Well, I think one, handling micro commitment objections is important. But two, being aware of creating micro commitments all the time. He talks about it like it's something everybody does. I don't know. I think he's talking about saying you should. No, do it. He, he talks about generating micro commitments like it's something everybody does. Uh, yeah. So the chapter is from the context of you've got to make sure you overcome your micro commitment objections. I think firstly, let's talk about just getting people to generate, try and close for micro commitments. If you try and close for micro commitments, I think you'll sell a shitload more. Yes, I agree with that completely. If, if you right. if you actually perceive the importance of and value of getting a micro commitment out of somebody, you're going to do all right. I think um, so. All in all, I think it's a good chapter. I'm enjoying it. It's been good refresher stuff for me. Got my brain going. Completely Got thinking agree. about my game. Next week, how... Now, uh, ne ne oh, are we not no, going to I do chapter 14? I've read it. No, Mike. Uh, Mike's got this thing about being a couple of chapters ahead of me because for a long time, I was several chapters ahead of him on all the books. <laughs> but I've fallen a little bit behind with my reading. So next week, we've got... Four, how many chapters have we got? I reckon I we should know. finish this next week. We've yeah, I mean, I take the Mickey. We can do, yeah. The, in the, fact, definitely, because we've only got page one five nine to two hundred, so it's forty pages. Let's just get get it done, and then you're into notes and appendices. Yeah, about the author. Who reads that? Well, no, I've got to. To be fair to Mr. Blount, he has got a very contemporaneous set of references for every chapter in this book. Yeah, because one of the things I wrote earlier on in the book was. It all seems a little bit hypothetical, this, where's your reference material? And actually, fair play to him, he's referenced every bit of theory. That's it, right? Fair enough. I, I never read that bit. Yeah, I never read the notes. It's a fully referenced book. So it, if you wanted to go down a bit of a rabbit hole and, and, and understand some of the thinking behind some of the thinking, um, there's, there's plenty to go with, to be fair to him. Um, so I suggest next week we're going to do chapters 14, 15, 16, and however many left until the end of the book. Because the week after... We are on a new book, which is called... Oh, where's the book? Is uh, it there? Do you know, it's in my bag. I've started reading it. Uh, it's called... We'll put it out on LinkedIn. It's called Sales Leadership by Keith Rosen, who is going to come and join us on the show. He will be our first guest 
Cool. Um, first formal guest, he'll be joining us via Skype um, for some discussion and some Q&A on the book, uh, uh, on, a, on ideally at least one of the episodes, but definitely one of the episodes. So thank you once again for listening. I hope everybody has a great weekend. And uh, make sure that you smash that like button and share it and tell your mates and listen to it on the podcast. Have a great weekend. See you.